Do you enjoy our podcasts? Help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org. You'll find some great merch there, and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of Another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word, one verse at a time. Hello and welcome to episode three of our journey through the first part of the book of Genesis. Today we're going to cover a passage of Genesis that is very much a hot topic right now. It's very much a contested topic, both in the world at large and in the church. And so before we even jump into it, there's a couple of things I want to cover. And some of these things might seem like you've heard them before. If you listen to every episode, you probably have heard them before. But oftentimes I will repeat things for several reasons. The first reason is sometimes there are truths that are good to hear again. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things that are a reality and that apply to the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. Even though we've heard them before, it's good to have them in mind fresh and ready as we look at this new passage. But also, because this is a podcast, our listeners don't always listen to the episodes in sequential order. And so it's important for anyone who's going to listen to this episode or any other episode that we do to have a good understanding in context of the passage that we're looking at and everything that applies to it. So it is for that reason that before we dive into this passage, there's a few things I want to reiterate about this particular journey that we're taking right now through the book of Genesis. As I have said before, this look into Genesis is not meant to convince skeptics. It's not really meant to be an apologetical argument for Genesis. We are not striving to convince those who don't believe in the book of Genesis to believe in it. Instead, what we're doing is we're making an appeal to those who claim to be Christ followers. We're making an appeal to everyone who claims to believe in Jesus for salvation, or even those who may be interested in asking the question, should I believe in Jesus for salvation? Is that something I need to address with my life? And what we're doing is we're looking at the relevancy of Genesis for people who cry out to Christ, for people who follow Christ. Is belief in Genesis and the reality of the book and what it teaches absolutely central to being a Christian? That is the key question behind this entire season of this podcast, this entire journey into the book of Genesis. And so it is from that standpoint that everything we discuss in this podcast is going to be considered. So when we look at the passage that we're looking at today, You have to remember that we are taking this from the standpoint of if Jesus is who he says he is, and if Jesus did what he claimed he did, and if someone is going to cry out to him and repent to him and ask him for his saving blood to be applied to them, are they also bound to believe the whole of scripture, specifically for the purposes of this discussion, the book of Genesis? And if you've listened to the previous episodes, especially the introduction, you will know that the answer to the question has already been given. Yes, it is impossible to be a follower of Jesus Christ and reject the words of God. The two positions are not consistent with one another. If you are going to be a follower of God, you must accept God's words 
in their entirety, and that also means Genesis. So with that in mind, let's dive into our statement today, which is more than one verse. It's one entire statement. It actually covers three verse numbers, but the statement all goes together. And it's found in Genesis 1, starting in verse 26 and going through verse 28. And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is essentially the part of the creation story that sets man apart from the remainder of the created order. This flies directly in the face of the modern-day pagan view that everything came from nothing. Not only is God saying that he created the heavens and the earth, and if we read the account of each day he created the trees and the land and the oceans and all the creatures that dwell within them, all the plants, he created the stars and the heavenly bodies, But separate from all that, distinctly different from all that, which is wonderful, which is amazing, which are these incredible works, he created a separate work that is unique because it's created in his own image. And that work is man. Now, the approach that this is given in Scripture immediately sets up an element of exclusivity. It shows the uniqueness of man. God did not say, let us make in our own image about anything else that he created, not about an animal or a plant, nothing. The only thing that God made in his own image was humanity. Nothing else was made in his own image. And because of God's superiority over everything, because of God's sovereignty over everything, because of God's lordship over everything, the very fact that he created man in his own image immediately denotes a superiority to the creation of man. Man is created at a higher level of order than anything else. Man has a higher value in the cosmos than anything else. Why? Because he's created in God's image. Now that statement would ring untrue if man evolved, or if man came about by accident or by chance. If humanity came about by chance, then humanity would be no better than any other creature. We would simply be another species of animal, a more advanced, a more developed species perhaps, but still just a species. And really no moral law would apply to the human race except for what we could devise amongst ourselves because we could say that we're enlightened, because we could say that we've reached some sort of superior moral intellect that allowed us to create rules and laws to govern ourselves. But if we're merely highly evolved animals, then really we have no morality. There is no moral bind on us whatsoever. However, since we know from the pages of Genesis that we are made in the image of God, this adds a significant weight to the position of mankind. We are made in the image of him who rules over everything. We are made in the image of him who is divine. This means that we are beings created for a distinct purpose with a distinct plan to live out lives that glorify our Creator. 
Now, don't get me wrong, the whole of the universe is created with a distinct plan and is designed to live out lives for the glory of the Creator. However, we're made in the image of God, which means we have the ability to reason, to think, to communicate at an extremely high level, in other words, language and writing. Unlike animals, we do not function on mere instinct. We have the ability to make new things, to invent, to discover, to unlock mysteries and solve riddles. We are created in the image of our Father, who is the master creator, and like him, we desire to create things for ourselves and for the world around us. Oftentimes, the craftsman takes delight in the crafting more than in the thing crafted. And this displays the very nature of our Father. This displays that we are his children. And so we can see that right from the beginning, man was made with a specific purpose to be in fellowship with God. God designed him to be in fellowship with God. And when Jesus Christ came, he didn't come and fellowship with the animals. He came and fellowshiped with his people. But beyond that, verse 26 goes on. He created man to have dominion over all other created things. Now, when it says dominion there, it doesn't mean brutal lordship. When we think of dominion in this world, we often think of an unjust person exercising stolen authority violently over a group of oppressed people. That is not what is meant here by the text. What the text really means is that we are stewards. We are caretakers. We are caretakers of the creation that God has given us. We are able to exercise power over it, but we are also intended to use it the way God has designed it to be used. In other words, we're not to brutalize it for our own gain. We are to use creation for our survival. We are to use creation for our ability to thrive. We are to use creation as God intended, respecting it and utilizing it and caring for it as God has called us to do right here in Genesis. Now, of course, this can invoke a lot of conversations, which we're not going to get into here. But the bottom line is, as we read the law of God in the first five books, God left a lot of instructions as to how man should interact with the created order. And all through the scriptures, God left a lot of instructions as to how we ought to interact with the created order. So his word does address this. But the reality is that from the very beginning, God placed man over the created order to steward it to take care of it, and also to benefit from it through his good and responsible caretaking of the earth and all of the created things that were on the earth. The second key part of this statement here that we find in Genesis is that God made humanity in two distinct forms. And he made those distinct forms specifically to mutually benefit one another. He did not make a million kinds of humans. He did not make one kind of human, he made two distinct kinds of humans. And within those two distinct kinds, he blessed them with many different types of skills and gifts and personalities and traits. And those differences cover a multitude of things from physical appearance to likes and dislikes to cultures and so on. The list could go on and on. But at the end of the day, there are still only two distinct types of humans. God made male humans, and he made female humans. Now again, I know this is a really hot topic in today's world, and I'm not intending this to be a political discussion. 
I am making an appeal to those who claim to bear the name of Jesus to understand that for the believer, when the believer looks at the created realm, they must understand and accept that the way God has created humanity includes two forms, and those two forms are limited to male and female. And male and female exist to have a unique relationship with one another. Because they are made in the image of God, it's actually a relationship that very much mirrors the Trinity. And we're going to dig deeper into this as we go into Genesis and we see the union of Adam and Eve that takes place at the very beginning where Adam and Eve join together and God views them in a very specific, very holy, very sanctified, eternal relationship. But for the purposes of this discussion, we're simply going to show that God made men and women for a specific purpose, for his own glory, and he opened up his relationship with them with a specific command. In verse 28, God's relationship with male and female, begins with a blessing. Verse 28 says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now again, we're not going to take this generalized command to Adam and Eve and apply it as a hard, fast command for every person. We know specifically from the scriptures that God has called some people to a life of being single so that they are free to serve his kingdom exclusively. We also know from the scriptures that God does not grant children to every couple that desires to have children. We know that at times God has not granted children to those who desperately would like to have them. We even see that in scripture in the story of Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who who desperately desired to have a child and who cried out before the Lord in the temple. And of course, in her instance, God did grant her request, but not always have the requests of God's people been granted for children. Sometimes God has other plans for couples that don't include having children. But all of that does not change the fact that God's original design and his original command to mankind was to be fruitful and multiply. God is very clear here in the very beginning of the scriptures that his general intent for creating men and women was to be in a complementary relationship with one another and that that relationship had a main purpose. And that purpose was the increase and fruitfulness of humanity. That purpose was for new generations to be born into family relationship with a mother and a father. That was God's purpose. That still is God's purpose. Unless you should think, well, that's a command for Adam and Eve. That's probably not in effect anymore. I don't think I need to worry about that one. All we need to do is flip over to Malachi 2, and we can see that that is still God's purpose. In Malachi 2.15, it says, Did he, that he being God, not make them one? Them one there would be man and wife, with a portion of the Holy Spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. See, God made men and women to live in complementary relationship with one another in the bounds of marriage, one man and one woman, just as he created them in the beginning, for the purpose of raising up godly offspring to himself. 
Remember, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you understand this or should understand this, that the people who have put their faith in God, the people who have put their faith in the work of Jesus Christ, will be taken back to heaven to live with him in eternity. That's not just because Jesus is a nice guy. We are Jesus Christ's inheritance. Specifically, he went to the cross to purchase us. We have been brought into this relationship with him with intention. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has called you into his kingdom specifically. You, not someone else, you, and it wasn't by chance. And the people who will populate heaven will come from generations that span thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And yet, when we get to heaven, we will all find one another there. There will be parents and children and grandchildren and grandparents and great-grandparents and ancient ancestors that we didn't even know exist. Well, how did they all get there? Because generation after generation after generation of people have obeyed God's initial command to mankind to be fruitful and multiply. You see, God is seeking godly offspring because godly offspring are the inheritance of his son, Jesus Christ. And so those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, those of us who are followers of the king, should take this very seriously because every person who is saved by the blood of Jesus is a piece of his great inheritance. And Jesus reinforced this reality. He reinforced this reality in Matthew 19.4 when he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? The similar statement is recorded in Mark 10.6 where Jesus said, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Culture is always going to try and find some way to run away from God. Culture is always going to try to find some way to pervert the work of God. The reason for this is because Satan is actively lying to the world, actively working to deceive the world to thwart the purposes of God. If the purposes of God are for men and women who were specifically created so that they could be in covenant relationship with one another in the bounds of marriage to raise up godly generations before the Lord who would ultimately become the inheritance of his son Jesus Christ for eternity in heaven, then of course Satan doesn't want generations to be born. Satan does not want children to be born and raised in the fear and admonition of God. In fact, you can be sure, just as wonderful as it is to see a baby brought into the world, that's how much Satan hates it every time a new child is born into the world. Satan does not want this plan of God going forward. Satan is opposed to every plan of God. And so Satan introduces new lies. He introduces new ways of destroying children, of destroying the marriage, of convincing people that marriage is archaic, that marriage is bad, that marriage is something that is a bondage and a torment and a toil, of trying to prey upon the selfish hearts of people, the idolatry-filled hearts of people, to shun the original plan of God and to deny the reality that God has created only male and female and that they are designed for a specific purpose. But you see, for all those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, this is not an optional viewpoint. This is the truth of God's word 
This is what Jesus himself affirmed with his teaching. The will of God is for his children to raise up godly generations. So we cannot deny the words of Genesis here. We cannot deny them in any way, shape, or form. We cannot affirm any other truth to be reality. Because in doing so, we deny everything that we claim to believe, including that which we put our hope in for salvation. Namely, the work of Jesus on the cross, which only has merit if Jesus is God. Otherwise, everything we believe in is moot. Everything we believe in is nothing. And if Jesus is who he says he was, if Jesus was able to do what he said he did, and we put our faith and trust in that, then denying the words of Genesis, affirming culture's lies about what Genesis says is clearly false, is in direct denial of what we claim to believe about Jesus Christ. If you call yourself a Christ follower, if you claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, then you must accept the truth of Genesis, that God created man in his own image, that he created them male and female, and that he created them for the purpose of raising up godly generations to come who would ultimately become the inheritance of his son, Jesus Christ, through his work on the cross. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train ministry leaders to bring the gospel to all people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.